I asked Karina to come and read this in English, the text for tonight, and in Spanish. About 50% of our city are not English speakers, and they bring an incredible culture and life and uniqueness and family affection into the city. And um, I think, at least my prayer is, oh God, may we bring together some of the other peeps that make up this remarkable city of Costa Mesa. This is Acts 2, verse 16. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. En los últimos días, dice Dios, derramaré mi espíritu sobre toda la gente. Sus hijos y hijas profetizarán. Sus jóvenes tendrán visiones y sus ancianos tendrán sueños. En esos días, derramaré mi espíritu aún sobre mis siervos, hombres y mujeres por igual, y profetizarán. Y haré maravillas arriba en el cielo y señales abajo en la tierra. Sangre, fuego y nubes de humo. El sol se oscurecerá y la luna se pondrá roja como la sangre. Antes de que llegue el grande y glorioso día del Señor. Pero todo el que invoque el nombre del Señor será salvo. Pray for us in Father, we just thank you um, just for this time. We thank you that you've given us your spirit um, to give us visions and dreams and um, to just draw near to know you. Um, Dios, te gracias por lo que eres por nosotros y ahorita... Um, Estoy pensando de los jóvenes y los ancianos y todo lo que dice tu palabra, que todos los que invoquen el nombre del Señor será salvo. We thank you, Lord, for this time and um, just bring us closer to who you are. In your name, amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. So I, I drove away last night. Uh, we were actually on our way to LA. Dana was playing in, in Hollywood. And uh, it was just such a remarkable time that we reflected on. And it's very difficult to highlight a few people, but would you forgive me if I don't mention you? Because, you know, it's one of those things that you could forget someone, but then also not honor someone that is worthy of honor. And, and I mentioned Dana and Maddie and Kai because I thought the area was striking. When I walked in here at, at uh, six o'clock on Friday night, 
I, literally my breath was taken away. There were candles, there was music going, um, there was fragrances, there were incense. It just created such an incredible ambience. It could easily just be, all right, we're gonna pray, take that corner over there. But there was intentionality, there was communion, there was grape juice because it's, uh, some people are going through kind of dry January. I got it right. And so, um, uh, and, and so we, we honoured and we respected that. I also want to thank four people in specifics, and, and, and I know I'm going to leave you out. Please don't be wounded. But, but I walked in uh, at about 10 o'clock to do a, a second shift, and uh, this was on Friday night, and the club next door was going. I mean, they, they boom it, and there's no sound wall here. I mean, the, the sound was just gushing over here. And Callie had taken her, her, her worship kind of set put it through a little speaker and was cranking it. And, and it, was, it really was amazing. It's by no surprise, hardly anyone prayed there. Everyone prayed there. But it was that kind of initiative. And then I watched Kelly spend hours here praying and ministering both on her knees and others. Uh, Noah, Noah came in. I saw down because people had to sign up. I think he would put himself down for two hours. The last I counted was about four and a half hours that he spent here. Uh, you know, th- these, are, these are heroes. Th- these are people that they don't buy into, what's the least amount I can get away with? Well, what's the least amount I can do to satisfy a little one hour? And I'm not being facetious, honestly. I, I, just, I just feel so indebted to them. Uh, Brandon, wherever Brandon is, uh, signed up for 12 and, and stayed for four hours. He put himself down for the dark night. From 12 until four, gave up a night's sleep so that he could ensure, one, no one would pray alone. Two, that uh, if any girls came, there would be a sense of protection. And you know what I'm saying uh, with all of that. And uh, then others came and joined them. And, And I was just so proud of him. He's not one that draws attention to himself. But if you watch carefully, who are the real heroes of the church? It's not those with the microphones. It's those who color in between the lines, who bring the life and creativity and the presence of God into a community. They are the true heroes in the community. Brock, I mentioned, and I just want to give Sam a shout out, shout out, not a shut out, a shout out, because she had just come back. You know, she heads up homeless ministry, though our uh, unhoused neighbours in the city of Costa Mesa had just come back from a funeral where yet another one of these precious dear neighbours had been buried. And she could so easily have said, guys, I'm sorry, I'm just an emotional wreck. This is really hard for me. I'd rather not be here. But instead, she came and I looked into her eyes because I know her and I love her and I saw the tenderness there. And I just thought, you know, she had every reason to tap out. Sam, what did God do with you? Come in two minutes. Yeah, on the microphone, so we can grab it on camera. Well, just for the camera's sake. Yeah, so I just come from, we've actually lost seven of our homeless neighbors in the last two weeks from, you name it, fentanyl, overdose, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's just been a really hard time, and I've just felt like, I'm doing something wrong. And so I walked in here like super distraught and really angry and really confused and spent the whole time journaling frantically. And um, two things happened. One, felt God asked me to just read the verses that were up on the wall. And one of them, now I'm blanking on the verse. What was it, Meryl? 
Second Chronicles, um, was the verse where God says to the army, You're, you don't have to fight, I'm going to fight this for you. And that's really encouraging because this fight feels really hard. Um, but God's doing it. He's battling it out for, for us. And then the second thing, Claire came up to me and she said, do you know the meaning of your name? I was like, no, I don't. She goes, cherished by God. And so just God just overwhelmingly loved on me on Saturday. So very grateful. Fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. fabulous. Uh, Rob Trent, where are you? Just come up here a second. You guys got up to some wild praying. I, I, I hope so. I was released at about one o'clock to go home. I was assured that um, it was in good hands. And at about two o'clock when the music stopped, you guys got going, didn't you? We did. Two minutes. What happened? So we had a group of like five or six guys in here over the course of a few hours. And uh, we just had a, a beautiful time of, of praying alone, but then also... Um, realizing how powerful prayer together is. Um, so a lot of, uh, one thing that's been put on my heart recently for this church is purity amongst our men and love amongst our women. Um, and so we really prayed into that. We prayed into, I mean, we had a group of six guys here. So we really prayed into the purity part. We uh, confessed a lot of things. You got to bring it into the light. And so we did that. Um, there was a lot of freedom in that for a lot of the guys that were in this room, me included. Um, so yeah, one, like, what was that? Like three in the morning. Maybe you should be praying at three in the morning. I don't know. It worked for us. <laughs> Thanks, bro. Thanks. So let's dive in. What do we want to do this evening? Well, God has already done some pretty sweet things, but I want to dive in off the back of the 24-hour prayer. You know that we are in a Holy Spirit series, the theology and practice of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we decided walking our way through the Acts of the Apostles, it's a doctor author who writes this, this uh, multiple chapter account of the early church full of technical details and historical research and beautifully accurate as best as we can understand. And so we felt we were rushing our way through some of the big Holy Spirit pieces. And so we paused on the fourth chapter and we said, let's go back and find out wherever the Holy Spirit appears in these four chapters and let's drill down and see what we come up with. Uh, Simon Ponsoby, are we, are we, are we uh, Chris, are we rocking and rolling? Thank you. And thank you to you, bro. I came, how many hours did you pray into the evening? Four hours, man. Well done, bro. I, I'm so proud of you. He was yet so late with us praying. I so appreciate you very much. Simon Ponsonby, the, the British author, uh, he, he leads it, well, he's the teaching pastor of a church in Oxford. And he said this, he said, perhaps when the church sees the Spirit's power as an anointing, as a servant, in other words, when we view ourselves as servants of the anointing, when we live our lives totally directed by the Spirit and not the desires of the flesh or the devil, that's kind of Christian language, but you know what that means, the enemy who comes against us and uh, the, the, the flesh, this, this, this frame of ours that groans and squeezes us, demanding priority attention. When we direct ourselves, when we give ourselves to the Holy Spirit, when we seek to fulfill the mandate and ministry given to us under God, perhaps, perhaps then we will see more evidence of the magnificence of the Holy Spirit. Now what, what uh, was read earlier on 
is a really exquisite little moment. Let me explain it. I don't want to spend a lot of time. Do you know the Holy Spirit is destroying all prejudices, all walls, all inhibiting factors that keep us from a life of intimacy with God? And, and this particular passage, you can't, there we go. No, in the next, no, no, I'll tell you what. Yes, beautiful. He says, I will. There is this incredible promise that in the last of the last days, God will do something. What will He do? He will pour out. It's such a beautiful visual image of pouring, gushing. I, I enjoy showing uh, surfers of Bali uh, while with, some, with some music while I do my researching and I look up every now and again and, and uh, they're kind of hitting it. And uh, it, there's this beautiful power that comes. And God the Holy Spirit speaks of Himself often in a water-like way, a river or waves, waves that come or ankle deep, knee deep water. It's a visual image for us to understand what it is He wants to do. But notice how remarkable this is. He says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Now, now why is that important? I'll tell you why it's important. Because in a patriarchal society, gray hair like mine is the optimum. I grew up in a home where you shut up and you keep quiet. Children, we were told, are seen and not heard. I, I know you've never heard of that in America, but it was a thing. See, because the patriarch, the father, was all dominant. His thoughts, his perspectives reigned supreme in the family. And so the patriarchy of that time in the Jewish community, the Spirit of God says, I'm going to destroy that. Not because it's bad necessarily, but because he wants to see young, immature, less knowledgeable, less experienced sons and daughters counting for King Jesus. So he destroys the patriarchy. But then he says, young men and old, removing the generational gap. The beautiful thing about the kingdom community, which is what we are, is we do everything we can to undo that. Anything that deals with a generational gap. But he carries on and he says, for uh, men and women, your servants, both men and women, he removes the gender war. Jesus is so profoundly liberating. I was so sad today, man. I, I, I don't know why I was out praying in the back bay and just found myself grieving for so much of what people out there think the church really is. Not humble, kind, generous, loving, serving, sacrificial men and women, but bold, brash, opinionated. I was so grieved. I was told of a TikTok of a pastor's wife in Orange County who was, was sending TikToks of herself going for another round of Botox in her fancy clothes and fluffy hair. And I wanted to say, is that what Jesus died for? I'm not against Botox. If you want it, you want it. But to present that as an image of sovereign beauty, of divine grace, of kindness, of sacrifice, of humility, I don't think so. And here is this beautiful picture of Jesus through His Spirit removing the gender war between men and women. We're in this together, dearly beloved. And then servants, and that removes the social stigma and the economic disparity. Please understand, the picture of the Scripture is how the walls get torn down. Let me go through them again. The walls of patriarchy, where we're dominated by the few, gets torn down. The old and the young, the generational gap, gets torn down. The, the, the discrepancy or war between men and women is removed. The servants, social stigma and economic disparity gets dealt with. I don't know about you, 
But I want to be in that story, that story where everyone is stirred and everyone is passionate and everyone is zealous and everyone is sacrificial and everyone is spirit sensitive for the common good. I don't know about you, but that's the story I want to be in on. Now, what do we do with this passage? I want to take you on a little gander quickly. And I want to look at Jesus through three texts, very simply. Bear with me if you have a very short attention span. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Now put yourself, if we can, for a moment in a Jewish mind. Those boys, sadly, who'd studied with rabbis would have known this text well because there was this eager anticipation. Is He coming? Is the, is the, is the Meshua, is the, the, the Messiah, is, is, he, is He coming? Because they tell us this is what He's gonna do and we dearly need it. He sent us, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. That's what he wants to do. He wants to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. That's what he wants to do. I want to buy into this story to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion and to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. Why? For the display of His splendor. These kinds of people was the eager anticipation of the Jews. Who is the Messiah and will anyone be like Him? So, enter Jesus. Luke, the doctor's fabulous account, his wonderful, skilled authorship of Jesus. And after Jesus had been in the wilderness, he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. And he was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. And he went to Nazareth where he was brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. He went home. This was his custom. Every Sunday, he went to the synagogue. You want to be like Jesus? Every Sunday. Gather with God's people. You know, during worship, I, I remembered a moment. I, I think many of you have been around the community know I used to run marathons, and I ran one ultra, 150 miler. And I remember uh, we went through halfway, which is a full marathon, and uh, I'd never trained beyond that. Um, and my traveling buddies were behind me. That doesn't mean I was running fast. It just means they were running slow. And we ran for about nine hours, 20 minutes. And when I was about um, three, two thirds of the way through the race, it was a stretch of the road that they had cordoned off where the family couldn't come. Meryl and the folks and friends and my brother and them. Was my brother there? He should have been there. He was probably sunning. Um, and uh, yeah, he was a bad boy. And um, so, so it was a place where, where people couldn't go. And it was a desperately lonely place. And made to what made it worse was that there was a long stretch and, and I could feel myself waning. I could feel my energies going and I I'd had all my goodies. And I saw two runners in front of me, obviously two buddies. 
And they were chatting to each other from Stella Running Club. I'll never forget, they had the green running vest on. I ran for Savages. And uh, I just thought to myself, you too are gonna carry me. Because right now I'm at the end of myself. I, I don't know I have what it takes to run the last 20, uh, 18 miles. And I, and I pushed myself and ran, squeezed myself in between them. And they looked at me as if to say, who the hell are you? And I just looked straight ahead. I, I didn't even have the energy to talk. And they kind of looked at me and then carried on chatting. And I just thought, you know, I don't know why that story came to mind, but all too often when life is tough, we feel like we should tap out and just exclude ourselves, extricate ourselves from the power of fellowship. And I just wanna say to you, man, squeeze in between two strangers because they're gonna lift your hands. They're gonna keep you going even when it feels too tough. I remember crossing the line and, I, and, 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 and the sheer relief and the sheer wonder and Meryl was there and the family was there and, and just, I've just finished running 50 miles. But actually the two heroes were two strangers who didn't even know me. And you could be here tonight as the two strangers for someone else. And maybe your worship or storytelling or response or communion or prayers will be the things that will lift them up because they've limped in here almost at last gasp. All right, let's go back to this passage. So Jesus is in the synagogue and He pulls out the scroll and He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Here He's quoting Isaiah 61. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind. He has set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them today, this scripture has been fulfilled. One of the 300 promises of the Old Testament miraculously and amazing fulfilled in Jesus. Now you're saying, Chris, that's cool, very interesting, but what does that have to do with me? One more passage. Ephesians chapter four, verse seven. This is Paul, the entrepreneur author, writing to a church he loved in a city that saw God do incredible things amongst them. And verse seven, it says, but to each one of us, grace has been given. Do you mind saying that? To each one of us, grace has been given. All right, does that exclude anyone? Great. So every one of us, grace is given, I'll explain in a moment, as Christ apportioned it. That's why it says when He ascended on high, He took many captives and He gave gifts to men. So picture, if you wish, Jesus going up in the ascension, and this is Disney imagination, not biblical, but He pulls out of His bag and He takes gifts and He strews them. He, he throws them out over everyone and we'll see why in just a moment. Let's pick up in verse 11. So Christ Himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip the people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the full measure of Christ. All right, that's enough. Now, what does all of this have to do, dear friends? You know what excites me and you'll see as I unpackage it uh, over the next 15 minutes or so. It's how God wants us to partner with Him. Remember we read right at the beginning that the Spirit of the Lord said, He will pour out His Spirit on all flesh. Then He says, sons and daughters, all of you are 16, 17, 18 over you. 
I, I, I want to use you. Why was Ashbury in the, uh, the college on the East Coast so profound? It's because there wasn't a leader over 25 or something present. What, what do you think God was trying to say? Who, who do you think God was trying to empower? He promised that this would happen. What were they doing before that? Well, the guy who preached the message said it was an extraordinarily average message. In fact, he wasn't very well prepared as he completed his chapel obligation. But I tell you what preceded that was a group of people who for years did what we did. They just prayed. If my memory serves me right, it was like every Friday night or something. They would just drive around the town, drive around the university and cry out, God, would you come and visit with us one more time? Do you know their names? Because I don't. But I can tell you what they did. They positioned themselves in holiness and readiness for God to do something in their town and on their campus one more time. What is the image we have of the church? Generally speaking, we need a good preacher, we need a good worship leader, and we need a good administrator. And the signal sent out there, that is good church. But that's not Bible good church. Because Bible good church tells me something else. Bible good church tells me that there are men and women, boys and girls who put their hands up in a posture of humility and readiness and openness and holiness and consecration to say, oh God, would you use someone like me. And then it's amazing how the pouring of the Holy Spirit comes on them. You know, John Mark said to me when he spent a year here, he said to me, you know, Chris, do you want me to Instagram and say that I'm here now because people will come? And I said, you know, John Mark, I'd really prefer it if you don't. I actually don't want anyone to know. Because our desire is not to attract a crowd, but men and women who are passionate for Jesus, who want to lay their lives down and live sacrificially for the common good. In fact, it was quite funny because I went to Yelp and Google churches in Costa Mesa, Genesis. We weren't one of the top 50. So we are invisible in the city. I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> we, we, kind of, we are not here, people. I just want to tell you, this is not us at all. But, but I was in Vegas working with a new church plant. In fact, they haven't even started. I flew in Tuesday, Wednesday. And I'm with Tony and Nikki and uh, Ty and Haley are going to lead a team in to go and do some praying with them. They are early, early, early days. And a couple walk in through the door and the Spirit of God says to me, prophesy over them. I said, look, you don't really know me but I feel like God has something for you. And I lay hand on Matt's chest and the Spirit of God starts ministering. Now, who am I in that moment? I'm just a guy visiting a friend. No microphone, no position, no authority, no title. Just someone who is desperate to let Jesus come and through His Spirit, pour Himself out over whom? Those people. I'm finished with him. His wife's in tears because she's be, he's being ministered to. I prophesy over her. He's pro crying because she's being ministered to. That's, dear friends, the picture of healthy church. Please, please hear me. It's not a church compelled by three gifted, capable, preferably sexy people. You, you don't know, no, jokes aside, there was a woman in our last collective. Collective is when we bring leaders together and we train them. And there was a woman who I was told beforehand she had been turned down 
the worship leading role in a given church because I quote, she was too old. How old would you say she was, love? Maybe 40s, early 40s? My word, when her fingers went onto the keys, the presence of God came. I didn't know her at all. I said, she must lead worship or at least contribute in the worship as often as possible. How tragic. She wasn't sexy enough. It wasn't how pleasant and good is the presence of God when she sits at the keys. It's mm, 40. You know, she doesn't really dress. Now, the passage I've just read gives us a little window, dear friends, and this is where I want to invite you to see yourself in what I'm about to describe. Five gifts that Jesus went, like the, the farmer and the sower, and he strewed them. He took the gifts in an adjective moment. I don't want to get too technical because this is a little technical. But think of the adjective. This is the invitation. Come and partner with me. Because there are some who are clearly, let me say, it's apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. I'm not talking about the officers. If you don't know what I'm talking about, hallelujah. There is an adjective. There is a passion. There is a doing component to this that I think floods our churches, but we silence them. Isn't it amazing? Anyone who studies church history here will know that almost every move of God is governed by the power of the many. And within three to five years, it is the few who emerge. In fact, it so scared the guy who led the Welsh revival in 1908, I think it was, Evan... Welsh, it's got to be a, a Jones or something. But because he just said, I don't want to be that guy. There is a pastoral passion and the pastoral passion is to bind up the brokenhearted. That's what was said of Jesus, Isaiah 61. That's what he read out in Luke chapter four. And that is what is strewn to the church. You may never have a microphone in your hand, but do you beat with a passion to see the brokenhearted healed up. That's you. That is you. That's why this is your community because God is sending brokenhearted people through these doors and we do life more around the table than Sunday, but you know what I'm saying. And the invitation is this is a healing community. When we prayed, we prayed for you, prayed for me. Those who are brokenhearted, we prayed because there is hope. Zechariah says we are prisoners of hope. It doesn't matter how broken you are. And again, if I could let time stand still and just walk up and down the aisles here with the microphone, we would be astounded at how broken people are in this room. Putting together a really cool face, making sure the makeup and the smile is just right. Wearing just the right clothes. And I love you for it. I've done it for 40 years. I also want to be cool. It's a bit late, but you know what I'm saying. But behind the cool is this, God, I have a broken heart. Can anyone do anything to help me? Do I just have to flit from church to church, cool speaker to cool speaker, vibey sound, lights going, smoke machines going, and I leave and I'm still broken. But here, 
Jesus says there are people amongst us who have this pastoral passion to walk us from brokenness to wholeness, from immaturity to maturity, from infancy to adulthood. Meryl is one of those. Yes, she's a therapist, but she only became a therapist when she was 54 years old. When I started dating her as a 15-year-old, she was binding up the brokenhearted amongst her peers. Caleb, the guy with the cool new clothes. In spite of the cool new clothes, he is binding up the brokenhearted. Evan is binding up the brokenhearted. Haley is binding up the brokenhearted. Sam is breaking, binding up the brokenhearted. It is not what happens around this horrible little black thing that matters. It's people who say, Chris, that's me. There are times I lie in my bed and I want to weep because someone's injury and trauma and pain has so grabbed my heart. This is you, dear friend. In a church world that's so compelled by celebrityism, how tragic that these people have to sit down and zip their lip. When in fact, it's an extension of Jesus by His Spirit that He says, your job is to bind up the brokenhearted. Secondly, the teaching passion. They bring the recovery of sight to the blind. They're none as blind as those who won't see where the Spirit of God has to reveal truth to us. There is a deep desire amongst these people to open up the Scriptures. They get very grumpy if the Scripture's not open and thank you for you. They normally as human beings quite black and white, right and wrong, yes and no, because truth matters. In an age of deconstruction, ladies and gentlemen, truth matters. It's when I look into the mirror and oh God, I am a sinner. And that, no longer an excuse or an explanation or it's not my jam or it's not how I think. It's not who I, no, no, no. I look into the mirror of Scripture and I find myself there. And the teachers, Tyler, Stu, Kyle, Dana, Kai, they are essential to us being shown the mirror of the text day in and day out. We dearly need that. John Stott, the British theologian, said, my culture blinds, deafens, and dopes me. My culture blinds, deafens, and dopes me. Who will remove my blind eyes? See, I can speak about this, and forgive my passion, but this is so beautiful for me. I grew up in racist South Africa. My family were racists. I saw nothing wrong with racism. And then I met Jesus. They're just social orders. Everyone knows it's obvious. Whites are right. Blacks are wrong. It's obvious. Blacks are meant to be servants is what I was told growing up. Sure. Okay. Fine. And then I meet Jesus. And the Imago Day, the power and beauty that I made in the image of Christ begins to leak through the teaching of God's Word. And I say, I can't do this anymore. I can tell you stories that will make your hair stand on end. But it was this faithful, honest teaching of the Scriptures. Not necessarily the most mesmerizing preachers, just faithful. 
opening up the scripture, verse upon verse, line upon line, that gave me a mirror. And forgive me for being a bit tender, but but when I marched down the high street of Durban, the city we lived in with 30,000 other blacks, there were about 12 of us whites. And the blacks have got an incredible way to toy toy where they sing their freedom songs and the Communist Party flag was there and the ANC Party flag was there. My dad said, what are you doing? He said, Dad, Jesus died. We are all Imago Dei. Someone faithfully opened up the Scriptures to me and my blind eyes opened. Please don't tell me you don't need teaching. The problem is you don't know where you're blind and neither do I. Until someone faithfully opens up the text and it's not the sexy glamorous one, forgive me for repeating myself, but we feel like they hold the keys to the kingdom. It's not. Paul said, actually, I'm not really good at preaching. Do you know that? He said, in fact, I'm not a very good looking. He had a receding hairline, he had a big nose and he was very boring. People fell asleep when he preached. That's true, they fell out windows. I'm asking you, who will be that, offer that teaching passion, the recovery of sight to the blind? Who will systematically, methodologically and, and intentionally open, us the, open up the text and deal with the difficult passions in a difficult age? Thirdly, with evangelistic passion. Because of Jesus, it was said, and then he threw those those passions out, he said, to proclaim good news to the poor. Have you ever spent time with Kelsey? Kelsey's here somewhere. Ever been in a park with Kelsey? Because it's a matter of minutes and she is out there sharing the love of Christ with someone. Why? Because she can't help herself. Because every person matters. And she's desperate for them to encounter the living God who will take them in their circumstance and fill them with the beauty, wonder of redemption and adoption and ransom and see them come into a living faith. Eyes, um, Joel, David Vespella, Josh. These are extraordinary people that ensure we are a healthy community because they remind us of the millions who are eternally distant from a living God. I'm almost done. Thank you for being so kind. There's the pastoral passion who bind up the brokenhearted. There's the teaching passion, that recovery of sight to the blind. There is the evangelistic passage that everyone deserves the gospel to be heard, who proclaim the good news to the poor. Prophetic passion, they release freedom for the captives. I was, uh, Dana was playing in uh, the House of Blues some years ago and I was standing at the door as she was performing and a woman came in, she was somewhat inebriated and she said, who is this? And Dana and her band were playing and I told the woman and she looked at me, she said, you know what's amazing? And she kind of stuttered around, she said, is what I feel inside of me. I feel so free when this woman sings. Oh yeah, there it is. The release, Freedom for the captives. The prophetic ones amongst us despise anything that holds people captive. You will probably be really agitated by a prophetic person somewhere in your friendship because they will call you out. 
They will call you out. Why? Because being nice is not one of their high five values. Being liked does not fit into their linga franco. What does matter is I love you enough to speak honestly. I love you enough to tell you the things that will be unhelpful, that quench the spirit in your life, that prevent you from encountering God ongoingly. Sin in the camp. I don't know if you've spent any time with Jordan Havilana recently. You probably should, but it won't be comfortable. Because there's a deep hunger for the Holy Spirit. Anything that interrupts the power and presence of God agitates them deeply and they don't even know how to handle it most times. Dana, Isaac, Jordan, Noah, Wendy. Incredible sensitivity to the Holy Spirit to release freedom for the captives. Ladies and gentlemen, if we try and build around this and this, Sadly, we will miss this volume of God life which comes through His Spirit. And then lastly, and I'm trying to rush. Nani, I don't need you to chirp me again afterwards. I was told by her afterwards, I said two more stories about four times last Sunday. So (laughs) I will not say that, probably. So not only is there a pastoral passion to bind up the brokenhearted, or a teaching passion, to open the blind eyes or an evangelistic passion to proclaim good news to the poor, a prophetic passion to release freedom for the captives. But there's an apostolic passion. And what matters to those of us who fall into that category is strong, healthy, vibrant, multiplying churches. I know I'm in your face sometimes. I know some of you talk badly about me. I've had that for 40 years. It's what my gifting does. I don't want it. Sometimes I just want to be a nice guy. But in love, I hope, calling out the things in you that hinder the mobilization of you to a mission globally. Can I tell you a little regret I have? I didn't understand how to lead millennials. I I still don't always think I know how. So so I borrowed with me, I brought my boomerisms with me. And um, when we started meeting in our home, um, there were a couple of occasions where I spoke very forthrightly to a few people. And but David Vespella, I thought I was going to lose him because I was in his face one day, hard. But two or three other people that I love deeply to this day, when I see them, my heart leaps with incredible love and affection. But they left. And I learned a very, very difficult lesson of how I had to change. But you see, folk, what stirs me is your life of obedience and mobilization to a gospel adventure. I can't compel you. This isn't sexy enough. But what is is to say yes to a life of surrender. And God, I want to follow you with all of my heart. And I want to be mobilized to your kingdom adventures. I want to take this gospel to dark places, to broken places. And I'm one of these people, God. I've got that in me. It's, it's what my heart beats with. I try and shut my heart down as most prophetic types do. I just want to quiet it. It freaks me out. 
but you can't because the Spirit of God has been poured out into your hearts. Which one of these are you? Is your heart, does your heart beat with a pastoral passion to bind up the brokenhearted, a teaching one, the recovery of sight to the blind, an evangelistic one to proclaim good news to the poor, a prophetic one to release freedom for the captives, held captive, man, family of origin, sins, what others have done to me, injury, trauma, an apostolic passion to mobilize you to a life of mission. Would you close your eyes with me, please?